There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Now, more than ever, Australia needs strong voices for truth in the public square to drive political and cultural transformation. And too often we think the message of the gospel for Christians is only about personal salvation. But the effects of salvation bring community transformation. And as has been demonstrated through history, also national transformation. And as a nation, we're faced with crisis times under the coronavirus pandemic, both as a health crisis and as an economic crisis. But coronavirus came on the back of a major identity crisis in Australia around the threat to our freedoms that would come in the diminishing of our religious freedoms. Let's talk through some of these issues with Martin Isles, who's the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, welcome along. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you again. Martin, there is a major crisis going on health-wise, economics-wise. This came on the back of a crisis that we've been talking about now for even a number of years, this identity crisis, this spiritual crisis around religious freedom. This is something that hasn't gone away while we've been facing the coronavirus. No, I mean, it hasn't. Uh, It's interesting, though, of course, the coronavirus has knocked a number of these sorts of issues off into the long grass while the government focuses wholly on the coronavirus issue. But uh, that is, it appears to be uh, waning and the coronavirus problem appears to be dying down. And so the question then comes before us, okay, as we come out of this crisis, and undoubtedly great changes will accompany this emergence from the crisis, particularly economic changes, because the government will be very keen to have quite a... um, uh, quite a, uh, a visionary proposal for the economy to free it up and get it going. Uh, but also, in all of that activity, I think it's very important that we don't forget uh, where we were before this started, how uh, that we were on the cusp of uh, getting some religious freedom protections passed by the Parliament for the first time ever. Uh, and it's important that we uh, pick that up again uh, where it left off, And we continue to get those protections because even though coronavirus has been taking place, I can tell you that the religious discrimination and religious freedom legal cases that we've been uh, helping people with have not stopped. In fact, uh, those lawyers that work for our sister organization, the Human Rights Law Alliance, they've been in court and they've been very busy uh, dealing with ongoing religious freedom matters. So uh, I agree with you, Neil. It's so important that uh, we ensure that we come out of this with religious freedom protections back on the agenda. 
I suspect, Martin, the whole nation will be looking for some level of reorientation. If we can't have what we had before, where do we go from here? This idea of reorientation and of national values, these sorts of things are likely to emerge in the national debate. Yes, I think so, absolutely. Um, And I think that the freedoms issue has been something that's been talked about quite a lot during this uh, time because there has been a bit of uh, argy-bargy between the competing values of, uh, on the one hand, wanting to preserve people from getting sick and so wanting to go down a pathway of lockdown, but then on the other hand, realising that that's not a cost-free exercise. If you take away people's freedoms, there's genuine costs. I saw an article just today saying that uh, suicide rates have gone through the roof, uh, and that's something that people warned about. Uh, and so there are mental health costs, there are human costs, uh, there are costs to people from the loss of those freedoms. It's exactly the same for people of faith. Uh, if they are going to be getting in trouble with the law, if they're going to face activist pressure, if they're going to be losing their jobs, if they're going to be told to shut up and be silent uh, or face the consequences, uh, that has real human costs. Very often you see in the public square that people are just held up as you know, uh, with with insults, as bigots and all this kind of thing. But the average person from the suburbs of Sydney or Adelaide or or, or towns in Australia who is a person of sincere conviction is none of those things. But their freedoms really do matter to them. Uh, And it has a a very profound impact. And so as a national value, uh, I do think that uh, coming out of this lockdown, uh, there is an importance uh, of, of raising again the importance of our freedoms. Martin, the idea of what's prominent in public thinking, uh, there was a conversation I was in just the other day talking about the militant environmentalism or the militant LGBT transgender agendas uh, being shown up as being quite hollow distractions uh, when life and death are in the balance. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on uh, whether the public perception about some of those alternative ideas uh, may actually become a little more crystal clear. I think uh, there's no doubt that um, a number of those sort of politically correct agendas um, became a little irrelevant with the coronavirus crisis. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Um, And I guess the whole climate change thing, which was reaching a fever pitch uh, earlier this year, uh, has completely dissipated. Uh, You know, nobody's asking questions about how many genders we can put on our birth certificates anymore uh, because there's far more serious things at stake. Uh, But I can guarantee that during this time, uh, even though churches haven't physically been meeting in large groups, uh, people's faith uh, certainly has not gone away. Uh, people's practice of religion has not gone away. In fact, it will have increased and amplified all the more because that is so important to people's dealings with uh, troubled times uh, and, and, and indeed getting through life. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think that that's something that definitely hasn't gone away and perhaps it's been brought into uh, clarity just how important it is to people to have their faith, to live out their faith and be able to do that with integrity and to be able to do that with consistency and their conviction. Uh, without facing the, you know, adverse consequences of that.
Martin, that brings us back to that religious freedom legislation because there may be some changing national sentiment here or even the relationship between the church and the government, as uh, I've had in one conversation, uh, appears to be warming because the church has a way of being able to help people deal with anxiety and uh, some of the challenging issues around uh, suicide prevention and all sorts of things like that that come from hope and faith in God. But this idea of religious freedom is what's on the agenda now. Where do you see things as they are at with the religious discrimination bill? I think the religious discrimination bill uh, has clearly uh, gone off the parliamentary agenda and the agenda of politicians because of other distractions. It was on the cusp of being introduced uh, when this started. Uh, this This is the problem, though. When the coronavirus uh, issue ends and when the initial flurry of activity to restart the economy uh, abates, the question will arise, uh, is this going to come back on the agenda? Uh, And I think the only way it will come back on the agenda is if we make sure our voices are heard, uh, if we are contacting our MPs to say we are interested to see this come back on the agenda, and if groups like ACL... Uh, campaign for it and and, and get people behind us uh, at the right time when when that happens so that uh, politicians can't forget about it because everyone loves the church's charity but they're not such fans of the church's conviction Uh, and when matters like this come onto the legislative agenda many politicians just find it too controversial and they say oh I didn't get into politics for this I got into politics for jobs and and and, and the economy Uh, I didn't get into it for for, for social issues Uh, and so they'll, they'll They'll walk away from it very easily, and it's important that we don't let them do that. So I think that it, it can come back on the agenda. It must come back on the agenda, and that will depend largely on how keen we are to see it come back on the agenda. And I'm seeing, you know, day in, day out, I'm seeing more and more cases of people who have done nothing wrong but are facing uh, bad consequences for doing nothing wrong, uh, for expressing their faith. Uh, and so I'm very keen to make sure that those ordinary Australians who are facing that kind of legal activity, uh, whether it be denied the right to foster children because of their faith or actually losing their jobs uh, or losing a professional accreditation, even a medical doctor recently lost his accreditation uh, as a doctor, which is an incredibly traumatic thing, uh, or just facing complaints from tribunals. You know, I want to see those people protected. They're ordinary folks. They're not harming anybody. Uh, They're just people of faith. Perhaps there needs to be a capturing of the broader public imagination with all of this too. And I wonder whether, given we've had some conversations just of recent weeks around some of the freedoms that have eroded around COVID-19, that the fact that it's not so easy to have even a level of freedom of association right now, if you take that back down to the whole social distancing and separation even of families, uh, the idea that the government appears to have absolute power and uh, we're very, very quick to give up the freedoms that we thought we had. I wonder whether any of that plays into the idea of preserving religious freedom as a foundation for all the other freedoms we hold. Yeah, I think religious freedom is at the foundation of the other freedoms we hold because religious freedom goes to the mind, it goes to the conviction. Uh, that's where it begins. And you can't get any more fundamental than that in a person's identity uh, than their convictions and, and what they believe in their heart and their mind and how that drives them uh, every day. So I do believe it's an absolutely fundamental freedom. It's an interesting point you make, Neil. I've been reflecting uh, on the fact that during this time, many people in my generation, uh, and I'm a member of quite a few groups um, 
local groups in Canberra and so on online and, and in person in some. And, and I've noticed that people my age are very, very, very happy for the government to take their freedoms away. Uh, they don't have this kind of um, uh, natural uh, inclination to suspicion when that happens because they seem to crave safety. Uh, and for some reason, they'll give up all of their freedoms if they feel as though it's making them safe. Uh, and, you know, there's a balance to be had here. And I'm concerned that perhaps there's a cultural shift away from a freedom mindset towards a control and command mindset from government. And I think that's actually dead right. I think that is exactly what's happening. Um, as a precedent and as a cultural trend, I think that's very worrying because you never want to have a culture where governments are just routinely given that kind of power. I understand when they need extra powers for health crises and stuff, but they should never routinely be given that kind of power and people should never instinctively warm to that kind of power because of what it means for, you know, you look in places like China where there is no freedom, who suffers? Well, the people of faith, actually, the religious minority, they're the first ones. And then, of course, it's the political dissidents and those who speak out against the government line and so on. Uh, and it's very, very important that in the West we're always different and these freedoms need to be jealously guarded. So I think there's an opportunity probably for people of faith to lead the way uh, and younger people of faith too to lead the way to actually advocate uh, for freedoms uh, and to make sure that we are always putting this to the political discourse. Otherwise, we'll go the other way. And as you say, the opponents of this religious freedom legislation are not resting. They're agitating even now as we speak. When there are opponents of Christianity, and we know that those opponents are often into rewriting our history, we call it a revisionism, uh, to suit what is often a very secularised, even atheist agenda. Uh, but if we rest and wait until the crisis passes from COVID-19, uh, could we miss the opportunity to make things right? Is this a time we ought to be resting or should we be working harder than ever? Yeah, look, I think we should continue to work. I think that there's other important things to do in light of COVID-19, but we shouldn't forget about this. Uh, and we shouldn't stop mentioning it, because you're right, Neil, um, the other side who are opposed to this, so groups like Equality Australia, they've used this time to continue to speak to their supporters and continue to keep the energy up. And that's actually why I'm talking about it today, uh, because I want to keep that energy up and that consciousness up. They've been sending emails to their supporters. They've been sending videos from you know, famous people like Ian Thorpe, the great Olympic swimmer, uh, Lauren Jackson, the great Olympic basketballer. And they're saying things in those videos which are just flat out untrue. Uh, they're saying things like, oh, well, if, if this legislation passed, then my waiter could tell me that my relationship is an abomination in God's eyes and the waiter would be protected. And that's absolutely untrue. Um, the legislation makes it very clear that the waiter can't say things like that in the course of their work hours, uh, that if the employer or the restaurant said to the waiter, hey, don't insult the customers, it's bad for business, that would be a reasonable requirement upon the waiter. Not to mention that's not currently illegal anyway, and yet it doesn't happen. It's a caricature of Christians. It's an attack on Christians who apparently say things that we just don't say. Uh, and also believe things that we, you know, it's, 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 it's having a go at, you know, it, it, it's a dog whistle sort of exercise. But you see those sorts of lines out there. And I've gone through a whole range of things that they've been saying. Even Justice Michael Kirby, uh, you know, made, said, you know, well, this allows religious doctors to uh, decline to treat somebody because of their religious beliefs, which it simply doesn't. Uh, at all. In fact, they would be in big trouble if they did that simply because somebody had a particular faith. Um, and so there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I'd encourage people as they hear this misinformation just to understand that. 
uh, is not honest, it's not true, uh, and it is completely at odds with what the legislation actually says. But it's interesting to see how these people continue to talk about it. I think we should continue to talk about it as well. We should continue to advance for free, advocate for freedom, point out that these things are untrue, and what we want is actually the same degree of freedom that somebody would have to live consistent with what they believe is their sexuality or something like that. I guess being able to sort through what's truth and what's myth, what sort of things, as you say, that those proponents on both sides or on all sorts of other sides that might come out will say about these things. And I guess the onus is on every individual Christian believer to know what they believe about what is true with regard to the need for religious freedom and about issues around uh, the transgender agenda. Those things are going to be very important, uh, just keeping up an understanding, following the information, being able to sort through the, the truth from the lies. Yeah, I think so. I think it's incumbent on all of us to, uh, to research these things. And, uh, for example, I've done a video clip, which is searchable on our YouTube channel and, 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 and social media, uh, which just explains the nuts and bolts of this bill if people want to understand that, the guts of it. Uh, but I think as well to, have, to be able to give an answer. I, I think um, people need to be able to give an answer when they're asked. If somebody came up to, some, to you and said, you know, um, you know why, why do you think that uh, 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 transgender children are evil or something, you know, work through these in your mind because some people believe this. I mean, some people believe that we believe this. And so to work through this stuff in your mind and just have some answers ready, and they don't have to be sophisticated. Most people don't get into sophisticated conversations about political issues. But they just need to be clear and they need to be thoughtful because otherwise if you're sort of caught in the moment, uh, you don't know what to say and sometimes you stumble and, and, and it's such a controversial area that you can easily put your foot in it. Um, and I would suggest people do need to be clear about all of these things. Uh, and we live in a time, unfortunately, where we don't live in a culture that's uh, as discernibly Christian as it once was. And when that happens, uh, it means that we need to be a lot clearer on more of the things that we believe um, because we stand more and more in contrast to the world around us. Um, but certainly when we advocate for this stuff, it's important as well to have those things in your mind so that you know when they come along and they make some crazy allegation like, oh, what if your childcare worker told you that your relationship was a sin or something? You go, well, well, no Christian's just going to walk up to somebody and say that. <laughs> you know, that's not what we do. Uh, and, you know, you can get a bit of a feel for these things. So I think, yeah, we, we live in changing times and it's important that we understand what we believe. And you've got your standing army. You've got a growing body of volunteers who are ready to letterbox drop in local communities. Uh, you're extending all sorts of ways that you can get resources and understanding into people's hands. You've got a huge membership base, something around 180,000 people. And no doubt uh, you'd like to see that skip up to the 200,000 supporters uh, pretty quickly. But uh, there is a good, solid, sound and growing base that is supporting a Christian truth here. And no doubt you'd like to see everybody getting on board, Martin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're very, very blessed uh, with our support. We're blessed with so many people who want to uh, come along and be, uh, you know, partner with ACL and, and donate or, or receive our emails or participate in our campaigns. And, uh, you know, the next step for many of those people is to get them involved as what I call activists for truth. Some people don't like that phrase because of the word activist. But I keep saying, no, no, these are the good kinds of activists. People are active for truth, you know. Uh, and uh, we're getting a lot of people signed up to that program, and uh, we're having these days of action that involve, you know, the last one was phone canvassing. They actually did a whole bunch of phone calls, actually, to other ACL supporters to pray for them. 
Uh, it was a tremendous day. Uh, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of phone calls made in a single day uh, by our own people to our own people. Uh, and that was just to learn how to use the phone calling software because the power of that in a political campaign is huge. But this is, this is a group of many hundreds of Australians who are part of this team and who are doing an awful lot of good and having an awful lot of fun. And here's the great thing. Their skills that they're learning now will be deployed to change people's minds and to make politicians notice. And I think those are two really wonderful uh, goals to have. And so, uh, you know, if people want to volunteer, go to the website, click volunteer, and you could uh, join into that uh, mass movement for truth uh, to really start to change things. And, and so that it's not just a question of having conversations from time to time, but it's a question of actually really standing firm publicly uh, with others uh, to have our voice heard. Well, a reorientation is coming. As we said, emerging out of the economic crisis and from the health crisis, there will still be this religious freedom issue that will be debated by our parliaments. And the nation is ready to be persuaded, perhaps one way or the other. And Martin Isles, honour to you and the team at Australian Christian Lobby for all the good work you're doing to raise the idea of a Christian perspective on all of this. Uh, Martin Isles, let me point people to the ACL website, Australian Christian Lobby. It's acl.org.au. That's acl.org.au. Martin, great getting a catch-up as always. Thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020. Thank you again, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.